where most of you know that last week, my sister had her second uh, chemotherapy treatment on uh, this past Monday, and she and those, uh, as some of you know, you've gone through that, family members that have had that, I guess it depends upon the individual, but typically it'll have a, a people have a rough time with it, and she has, she said a a tough t- several days there, so I appreciate your prayers, and want you to know that <clears throat> my mom uh, melody and gone with the wind because she liked her personality. <laughs> the sweet lady in that film. I said, Mama, that don't match up real good. Just kidding. Um, dark. And Do you know what your name means? She she bowed her head. She said, yes, it means dark. I said, that's good. And she looked up at me like, what's good about that? I said, that means you you help people in dark times. You're an encourager. And it it just changed her whole perspective. You say, is that what that means? Well, I guess it does. I I thought it might help her a little bit. But um, I think that... uh, much. Uh, would you turn to uh, two places in the Bible? We will look there, and I, I think that Andrew has uh, put some more scriptures up for you on the screen to look at with me. First John chapter 5, we'll look there first. Very, very important verses. You may want to write some of these down, uh, some of the uh, uh, things we'll give you. First John chapter 5, and then Second Corinthians chapter 5 in that order. First John 5, in 2 Corinthians 5, we'll look there in a moment. I want to talk to you this morning on restoring your motivation. Now, this will apply to a lot of things, mostly in your, your spiritual walk, but really as a Christian, anything, anything that you do. But we want to talk about the mission that God has given to us in our church. But it applies, the principle applies to many things. Eight years ago, this past... Uh, Eight years ago, this past August, I uh, started writing a blog on family issues. I'd had a a burden for that subject for many years. So I thought, well, I'll try to do that. I'd read a book about it. I have a lot of confidence in it. Early, probably times a week. Post on there with probably uh, approaching a, a million words. I, I would have to count them, but I'm not going to. And uh, but I, I, I still write. But it's not as easy. Um, my focus is not what it used to be. And some other things. But I keep writing. But I keep writing not because I know what I'm doing. And I know what I'm talking about to some degree. What the Bible teaches about these matters. But the reason I keep doing this is. I know my why. Now, now listen to what I'm saying. This is important. It's not that I know the what. But I know the why. 
Because my purpose is bigger than me just wanting to sit down at a word processor and begin to transmit thoughts and uh, biblical principles and so forth. A lot of people do that. You do research on blogs, and most of them don't last but a, a couple of months. I've had a number of friends that have started blogs, and they're actually pretty good. I've encouraged them and called them or texted them or emailed them, whatever. Said, hey, that was really good. And then it's just it, it, stuff happens, you know. And they they never come to fruition after that because it's more that keeps you doing is the why so so what is my why and I'm gonna this is really kind of what the message is about not blogging but it's about having having a why that's bigger than your what my why uh, presently is I want to help people of course I want to honor the Lord but I want to help people Um, the world is bereft of biblical knowledge in this area, and, and they need encouragement. And that's what it's about, the whole, as far as my angle, is to encourage people, give them biblical principles, and, and to encourage them to strengthen the family and marriages. Sometimes talk about problems and, and parenting, and it's not about perfect people. And that's a, that's a big why. And my wife knows my heart about this. Some of you know me well. This is just something that that propels me because not the what was something ought to be done this this is a why then there's another why it's that i don't want to leave something behind you know a lot of times you do something and it dies now when you invest in people that never dies and what you do for jesus never dies but think of this when you write something until jesus comes it never dies never dies now you may say well well, preacher i'm not a writer well i don't know that i'm a writer either i've never written a book you don't have to write a book but you can write something that's one of the reasons and and i'm not rebuking anybody so if you brought an electronic device for your bible i'm not rebuking you but that's one reason i like a bible like this that you can write in Uh, i love my mom's bible it still smells like her house. Seriously, this is not it, but you can smell her house. And I see her, her handwriting. I see my name over and over in there where she's written my name and my family's names and my children's names. Now, most of the time, if you have whatever uh, devices you have, those things are going to break. Maybe you can print it off. I don't know. I'm going to be careful about what I say. But that's a, that's a special thing to have. It's a special thing to have. And then if you keep a, a private journal or something, just, just write down something. I've, I've taught you this for years. Leave something. And so I, I created this, this uh, blog to help people, but I especially did it for my children. I wanted my kids to... To know what I thought about these things. And if Jesus tarries my grandchildren. Uh, oh, Poppy, Poppy wrote about this. And I'm so glad that the Lord has given me these years. Last night I thought I would, would look this up. The, the platform that I use helps you look up metrics and so forth. And To be honest with you, I hardly ever look at this. But maybe two or three times a year I look at it. Last night I looked at it. And in the last eight years since I started it, uh, there have been visitors from 157 countries, Iran and other places, communistic, atheistic countries that don't allow missionaries in, get the gospel in there. Uh, The other day, someone from China had looked at it. In fact, this past week, six countries had looked at the blog. I didn't even put anything up this past week. But the...
So, listen, remembering the why will help you do the what. Now, here's what most preaching and most, most behavior does is we focus on the what. Now, you need to come to church. You need to read your Bible. You need to be a good husband. You need, you need, and it's kind of a yeah, 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 yeah. Why? I like what one fellow said, and I really got into it, and I think this is true. You've heard me say this, that, uh, that success is related to purpose. You find, if you find the purpose in something, you can be successful. Let me give you an example. What is the purpose of this sermon? I have it right here. Every sermon I have has a purpose statement. There's a specific purpose that I want to accomplish in this sermon. By the way, if you're a Sunday school teacher, or you, or you're, you deliver something at work, what, what is the why? And I'll give you the statement in a minute. I, I've condensed it into a sentence, and so you don't need to do that. But it keeps you from meandering. It keeps you centered. What is the purpose? And, and it's not just enough to have a mission for what you're going to say, but it motivates you in the preparation of it and so forth. Every task has an aspect to it that's mundane and sometimes difficult. Every task. Well, I, I don't like this part of the job. Well, welcome to the club. What's going to get you through that part of it is the why. Because parts of the what are difficult. Sometimes it's hard to come to church. Sometimes it's hard to read your Bible. Sometimes you get in there and you'll get in a section that Joel begat Sam and Sam begat Ham and Ham begat and so forth. And you read all that. I, I'm, this is the what. I, I don't get this. And right in the middle of all of those begats, there's gold. Isn't that true? But you miss it if you don't read it. But that's the why. And when you know the why, it helps you to do the what. I heard about a a young dental assistant, and she was responsible for calling people on the day or the week of their appointment. Anybody have doctors like that? Well, now they send uh, text messages and email messages, and I like that to remind you. And uh, they'll call you sometimes. Used to, they would call you. That was kind of the big thing for a while. And so her task was to call people to remind them of their appointment that week. So she had this uh, one fellow. He was notoriously late. So she called him up and she said, sir, are you going to be able to be on time for your appointment this week? He said, well, I think I'm going to be late again. It'll probably be 30 minutes um, tomorrow. I'll probably be about 30 minutes late. Is that okay? I think that'll be okay. shouldn't be too bad. And she had thought about this and very kindly she responded. She said, you know, there shouldn't be any problem with that. The only thing we probably won't have time for the painkiller for the procedure, but that'll be okay. And he was on time. In fact, he was early. You see, everybody, when, when you know the why, it helps you do the what. Now, two weeks ago, I wasn't here last week, we, we began talking about our mission as a church, our purpose as Friendship Baptist Church, which is to bring people to Jesus introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then to disciple them so that they can do the same for other people. So win someone to Christ and help mature them in the faith so they can, in turn, repeat that cycle and keep perpetuate that cycle over and over again. And so the big idea I gave you last week was to clarify the mission. That deals with the what. Because if you're foggy about what you're doing, what is the purpose of our church? When we come to church and we sing and we hear a sermon. Well, those are some activities we do, but there, there's, a, there's a purpose. There's a core. There's a hub around which we gather to do that. And so the reason I'm giving the, these messages, there will be probably there's three ideas, but there's going to be, I'm going to divide this one up into two because I love you so much. And uh, Andrew's back there laughing because when he got the notes, he knew I would. But 
how do you reinvigorate the mission of the church? How, how do you reinvigorate this? When, when you know what we're supposed to do, well, the first thing you need to do is to, is to clarify. What are we here for? What are we supposed to do? Are we clear on this? Do we have a focus? But that's not enough. How are we going to be consistently motivated to fulfill that focus? And that, that's really where the difficulty comes. Because most people that have been saved for a long time, they know the what. Uh, you, many of you can state the purpose of our church and our mission statement. If you can't get it, you know the purpose of a church, of a local church. But you're not motivated to, to fulfill that purpose. Now, motivation is a result of our response to God's grace. And that's really the message in a nutshell. That's the purpose of this message. That's the big idea. That motivation is a result of your response to God's grace. It's not manipulation. It's not being tricked. It's not hype. Is not going to hear a certain type of preacher. You, you see, the, the test of motivation is behavior change. It's action. It's repentance. It's when you do something different. Well, I, I like that preacher. I'm motivated when I hear him. Okay. A week later, do you still live the, the same way? Well, you really weren't motivated. You just enjoyed hearing him. Because he, he was humorous or uh, he was dramatic or he had a lot of zeal. You enjoyed hearing him, and I did too, but I don't know that we were motivated. You see, repentance is, is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior. It starts on the inside and comes out on the outside. So if we want to reinvigorate Friendship Baptist Church, to be specific, number one, you must clarify the purpose what are we to be doing? And our mission statement is to honor God by seeing lives change, by bringing people to Jesus Christ and discipling them. You know that. Number two, we need to restore the motivation. That's the why. And you'll never do the one until you do the two. But you can't do the two unless you know the one. What are you motivated towards doing? So both of these are two sides of the same coin. You have, to, you have to know what you're doing, but you need to know why you're doing what you're doing. And that's true for anything. But I want, I want to come in here on the purpose of the local church. Now, the vast majority of people, some people have said 95%, never get involved in disciple-making. They never win someone to Christ. They never reproduce themselves in another person, which is tragic. It's not just sad. It's tragic because that's the purpose of the church. Many years ago, this stat is about 20 years old, but I wouldn't doubt if it's, if it's still the same. They, they did a survey, and they asked congregations. It was the same question. They asked a group of pastors, what is the purpose of the church? And uh, 90% of the pastors said the purpose of the church is to make disciples. 10% of the pastors said, well, it's to, to take care of the church. So 9 out of 10 pastors says the purpose of the church is to make disciples. To win people, to make disciples, mature disciples, and multiply disciples. That's a way to put it. They said that's the purpose of a church. 10% said, no, the purpose of the church is to get people in and kind of take care of the, the people that are there. They asked the same question of church folks, and 89% of church people said the purpose of the church is to take care of the people inside the building. And 11% of people in the church that took the survey, which was thousands of people, said it was to make disciples. And that was just 1% off, as you see. But basically, it was, it was totally inverted. So, so somewhere there's either a miscommunication 
between what the Bible teaches, and I don't believe that. I think if they're Bible-centered churches, that they've been taught well, hopefully. But the problem, you see, you really only believe what motivates you. It's not just up here, it's in here. And that's why good preaching always speaks to the heart, not just to the will. If you just speak to the will and not to the heart, the Holy Spirit speaks to your will and to your heart. That, that's what good preaching does. That's, that's the way the, the Holy Spirit of God works. Why, why does this happen? Why is this happening? I wrote down a couple of reasons. These are not on your screen. I just want to mention these. I think this happens, that is, that people aren't motivated to fulfill their purpose in the church because it's your purpose. It's not just the church at large. This is not a mystical thing. You, you are the local church. You are Friendship Baptist Church. It's not, it's not this, this wood and, and these, these buildings and the chairs. That's not the church. It's you. How many times have I said, if, if this, a tornado tore this place up or it burned down, we could rebuild the building, but, but you are the church. Well, it happens because we've been influenced by the world's philosophy that a person's view of religion is private. You, you don't talk about those things. That's personal. When it's the most important thing in the world. I heard about, uh, this is, Dale Moody died in 1899, so this is an older story. But he was a great man of God. And he, I believe as the story goes, he was in a, a, a barbershop getting his hair cut. And someone came home, and they told their wife, they said, I met Mr. Moody today. He was very well known in Chicago. I met Mr. Moody today. She said, what did you think about him? He said, well, I didn't like him. So why? He said, well, I heard him speaking to someone about their soul. She said, did he speak to you? He said, no, he was speaking to someone else. He had no right to do that. And she said, did you tell him that it was none of his business? The man said, oh, but if you would have seen his face and heard his voice, you would have thought it was his business. Because of his compassion, because of his, his earnestness. So we've been influenced by the world that we, we compartmentalize our Christianity. Then th this happens, this, this kind of dichotomy of evangelism because of the fear of man. Proverbs 29 says, a fear of man brings a snare. It, it's we're afraid of rejection, which is a very powerful fear. We want acceptance. We, we fear people more than we fear God. The fear of man. Then this one's huge. We think it's not my job. It's someone else's job. That's why we have staff. They're the hired guns, as it were. You know, that's Rick's job. That's Tim's job. That's what Daniel's supposed to do. Our leaders, that's what they do. They're the experts. I, I'm not real good. It, every now and then I might do, but, but I'm not supposed to do that. That's their job. Well, that's not true. In fact, we're, we're to teach you to do that so that you can do it. Now, we have our own friends and loved ones and neighbors that we're to witness to. I told you the story. I probably haven't told it in several years. But a friend of mine from high school called me, and they said, uh, uh, my uh, grandfather is in the hospital, and he's, uh, he's dying. Would you, would you go talk to him about Jesus? I said, I would on one condition. And you need to understand, I knew this person. And I knew they knew how to present the gospel. I said, I'll do it on one condition. They said, what? I said, that you go first. And they said, why? I said, because they don't know me. And they said, if I go in there, I said, the odds are they're not going to discuss very well. I'm going to look like. I didn't use this expression, but I hired gun. If you go in there, you're more likely to weep. They love you. You love them. I said, I will go. I'll be glad to go. And I, I've never done this with anybody else, but I felt led to do it. And I said, you go first. And then I'll go, would you do that? Now, if they said no, I was still going to go. And they said, I will. About three or four days later, I got a call and they said, 
I went and saw my my grandfather. I said, well, okay. You know, I was getting ready to ask for the number. You know, I said, okay. He said, it got saved. See? See, you can do it. You can do it. Then this kind of falls under what I just said. They believe you have to have a certain type of personality. You have to be a salesman. You have to be outgoing. You know what I've learned? I've learned that introverts make better soul winners than extroverts a lot of time. Not always. But you think you have to be this kind of a high-powered, energetic evangelist. Now, now, please, please don't throw rocks at me. But people that listen better make better witnesses than people that talk. You've got to be a good listener. Did you know that the word listen has the same letters as the word silent? And you can't listen if you're not silent. Now, you need to give them the gospel. You have to speak. But if you're coming in there with both guns, we use the word guns a lot, aren't I? Both guns blazing and you're just, sometimes people shut down. They want to feel like you care about them. Most of the time we think about Simon Peter in the New Testament. What a, what a bold man he was. If I could just be like Simon Peter, bold and, and charismatic and just, boy, if I could be like that, I could be a witness. Who won, uh, who won uh, Peter to Jesus? Do you know? His introverted brother, Andrew, John chapter 1, verses 41 and 42, and, and he brought him to Jesus. He brought him to Jesus. Three times in the Bible, Andrew is mentioned besides in a list. The apostles are, are, and disciples are mentioned in a list. Well, three times Andrew is mentioned when he's not in a list. Every time, and it's all in the Gospel of John, Every time he's mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Remember in John chapter 6 when uh, Jesus fed the 5,000 and the little boy had the five loaves and the, the fishes and so forth? You know who brought him to Jesus? It was Andrew. Now, it doesn't say this, but can you use your sanctified imagination? How did Andrew know that boy had those fishes in there? Just stop and think. Open your bag. Let me count those. One, two, okay. Now you can go. He didn't do that. You know how he knew? Hey, buddy, what's your name? How old are you? Man, your mom pack you a lunch? Well, you're lucky nobody else had a lunch out here today. What you made me say she made you? Oh, wow. Where do you live at? One-on-one, -on -one, he had a conversation that a lot of other people wouldn't have. And so indirectly, the miracle that Jesus performed was related to this guy named Andrew. Don't, don't tell me God can't use you because you do not have this expressive person. God, God designed you will reach people that nobody else will reach because of who you are. And then sometimes we, we don't do this because of a lack of training or what we perceive to be training. We think it's like a, a course where we have to memorize these things and let's see, let's see what comes next. And I can't do that. It's kind of like getting up here making a speech. No, it's telling the story. You're telling your story about how Jesus saved you. Can you do that? You don't even have to stand up here. If you want to, you can. Can you tell one person that? And then you tell them Jesus' story. One of the ways that uh, I love this that people are witnessing today is they're just taking stories in the gospel. And you say, hey, I want to read a story to you. Listen to this story in Mark chapter 5 about the maniac from Gadara. You wouldn't say that. That's too much information for somebody to know the Bible. The maniac from where? Don't, don't do that. when you. But I want to read this story about this crazy man that lived in a cemetery and how Jesus changed his life. Or in Luke 15 about the prodigal. And read these stories. And give them the gospel. Tell them stories, narratives. Jesus did. And then tell them your story. I uh, was writing on our church uh, Facebook page uh, years ago when I was teaching our teenagers. And I said, I, I taught 
our teenagers had to give their testimony tonight. And one of my friends I went to school with, he sent me a private message. He said, Rick, what's a testimony? He said, let's get together and we'll talk about it. Listen, you have a story. You're not memorizing a script. See, that's where it gets silted and you get out of your personality. You can tell a story. And then there's so many more reasons. I'll just keep going more. Then we've seen caricatures of of Christians that had the media profiles us on television. Especially preachers and Christians in general. We're stupid, we're unintelligent, we're shady. But when you think about it, that's what people expect. And in, in darkness, light shines brighter. And when they find somebody that is not shrewd, but they're genuine, they may watch you for a while, but when you're the real deal, and when you mess up, you apologize. And you're just the real deal. You have a platform that nobody else in their life will ever have so my question is this why aren't you bringing people to jesus why aren't you why aren't you fulfilling the mission that god has for your life clarify them that's your mission who have you brought to jesus is there anybody in this church is there anybody in the decades in the years that you've been in this church that you have ever brought to Jesus? That's a good question. Or in any church in the city. They don't have to be in this church. Is there anybody that you have been a part of investing in their life? Or are, are you spiritually barren? I'm not saying this to, to rattle you, but, but, but it ought to trouble us. Curtis Hudson said this. He said, the only alternative to witnessing is not witnessing. It's disobedience to Christ. That's the only alternative. There's an old, old hymn. It's in our hymn book. We, we may, maybe have done it one time since we've, I've been here, but the words are profound. Listen to it. Listen to these words. I'll not give all of them. It says, must I go in empty-handed? It's talking about the judgment seat. Must I go and empty-handed, thus my dear Redeemer meet? Not one day of service give him, lay no trophy at his feet. Must I go and empty-handed, must I meet my Savior's soul? Not one soul, not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? Must I empty-handed go? This is a very sober matter. We're going to heaven one day. And I think all we think, yeah, I'm going to heaven. No more trouble, no more pain, no more sorrow. And that's true. But are you taking anybody with you? Is there anybody there that's going to be saying, thanks, man. Thanks for helping me. Thanks for investing in me. Thanks for telling me. Thanks for helping keep me out of hell. Thanks for pointing me to Jesus. Here's what I believe. In fact, I know this because the Bible teaches it. We have been putting the wrong blame on the reason for apathy. And listen carefully. We say, well, what we need is, is new methods. There's nothing wrong with new methods. But that's why people are apathetic. It's because of, of new methods. They need a new style of preaching. They need a pastor that, that is awesome. When he preaches, he says a dude. There was a dude, man. He, he had it, man. And he can rap with the people. That's, I'm approaching that style. I will get there. They need a new style of church service. They need more programs in the church. Now, that, that's why we have apathy. no. You just get an, another set of problems, that's all. There's nothing new under the sun. Listen carefully. The problem to what I'm talking about this morning, the lack of motivation, is we are not familiar with the grace of God. 
Because that's what motivates us. It's a lack of motivation. It's not all of this stuff. Well, you know, if we, re, if we redo the auditorium, people will come. And that's important, but it's not primary. I wonder what kind of auditorium they had in Jerusalem when they met in the temple, what kind of air conditioning they had. I'm not trying to, I don't want to be sarcastic, but think please with me. And so we, we pick at these things. We say, if we do this, this will rearrange priorities. No, it, it's, it's a matter of motivation. So in its purest and simplest form, evangelism, now listen carefully, is about caring and loving. It's about loving Jesus and caring for people, period. No more, no less. Nothing more, nothing less. If you, if you love Jesus and you care about people, then you'll be motivated, period. No matter where you live, no matter who you are, no matter what kind of personality you are, then you'll reach people. Then when you have clarity on your mission and you have the motivation, then you'll do what you're supposed to do. But that comes from loving Jesus and caring for people. If you do not have a church of people that love Jesus and care for people, none of the other things they do will matter. There's primarily not the only ways, but there's two types of motivation at the top. There are others. But primarily there's fear and love. You kidnap someone's child, that's fear. But it's also love. And fear is a powerful motivator, but it won't last. I will pay you $100 if you do not reach this level of, uh, of losing weight by this time. I'm smiling because maybe some of you have done this. Boy, that hot foot Sunday looks good. Is it worth $100? No. But the next day it is. <laughs> nah, let's give it a go. I can, I can the next month. We'll do that. But the fear and pain of losing something sometimes is not enough. But listen, every time, listen carefully, every, tri- every time Trump, I'm sorry, it's on my mind. Love will trump fear every time. Every time. Love is a greater motivator than fear. So, and I, I'm going to pivot the message now. Follow me. The keystone of what it means to a Christian, one of them, one of the primary ones, is love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now we quote that at weddings a lot, but sometimes we quote it, we don't think about it. What does that mean? Oh, the greatest, we sing song. the greatest of these is charity. What does that mean? Well, it's the only attribute up there that's eternal. Will we have faith in heaven? No, because our faith will be sight. Will we have hope in heaven? No, our hope will be realized. Those are wonderful qualities. But we will have love in heaven. You see... The greatest of these is love. The Bible says in verse 8 of that same chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8, the Bible says that love never fails. Now here, here's the message this morning. I'm going to give you two summary statements. And then next week I'm going to build on these statements. Okay? Number one, here's the first statement. Our primary purpose in living is to love and to worship God. That's why God put you here. God gave you a task, but the primary task is not that you would build something for him. The primary task is that you would have affection for him, that you would spend time with him. And every person that has ever existed, even if they're not saved, they have this appetite, this hole in their heart that is not filled, that they try to fill with everything else. Money, fame, 
drugs, pleasure. They put everything there. The book of Ecclesiastes is about it. But nothing fills the void because the only thing that will fill that void is a personal relationship with God. And, and sometimes we use that expression so much we don't know. We've kind of given its own definition. Here's what it means. A personal relationship with God has to do with your, your affections for God, knowing God, talking to God, walking with God. It means loving God. I love the Lord. He loves me. I quote this all the time to you, but look at it again. We're going to look at 1 John in just a moment. But look at this verse, Matthew 22, verse 36. A man came to Jesus. He said, Master, which is a great commandment. The word great there, I've told you before, is the word mega. What is the mega? What's the primary commandment? The, The one that stands out above others in the law. The most important commandment. And Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. This is repeated over and over again in the Old Testament and the New Testament. With all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and other places, all thy strength. This is the first and great commandment. This is primary. Listen, your love for God is the source of... That everything your Christian life flows from. There's no substitute for, for it. Nothing. Listen, Christianity is not a program. Christianity is not something you attend. Christianity is not something you do. Well, I've got to do this for Jesus. No, Christianity is a person. It's about Jesus. This is the preeminent, most dominant thing in your life is who Jesus is to you. That's the mega commandment. Are you getting this? That's why, that's why you don't tell people about Jesus. It's, not, it's your motivation. You can clarify the mission, but if you don't have, if you don't have the, the motivation restored, that's why new converts... Even though they don't know much, they're, they're so grateful to have their sins forgiven because they love Christ so much. And then we've been saved for a while, and then we get cluttered up with programs and obligations. Well, I have to do this. I have to go to choir. I have to work in the nursery. I have to cut the grass. I have to witness. I have to give. I have to. And then we become half two people. We were newly saved. We got to do stuff. I get to go to church. I get to give. I get to do this stuff. What happened? What happened? You lost your motivation. And when you lose your motivation, it's about a person. You lose the mission. Now, the second idea, and I'm going to finish with this. The first idea has the idea of the priority in our life is loving God. Here's a second idea. It is the love of God that motivates us to keep God's commandments. The love of God motivates us to keep God's commandments. And notice this, without complaining. You see, you can't just will yourself into not complaining. I, I got to stop that. You cannot will yourself into faithfully attending church. Can't do it. At least in feeling like you have to. Because after a while you get tired of have to do stuff. You can't will yourself into reading the Bible faithfully. You can't do it. You may do it for a year. You may do it for five years. But you'll get tired of it. Because the motivation isn't there. And I want you to notice what it says. It doesn't say, it is my love for God. It is the love of God. It's God's love for me that motivates me to keep God's commandments without my complaining about it. I get to do this. I get to tell my story of how I was redeemed, of how He rescued me, of how He delivered me, and how He delivered my dad and my mom and... Me and Melanie Hoss had a Christian home. And how God brought 
me across the path of my wife. And now He has led me to this wonderful church. All that's a part of the gospel work in my life. It's not just that He he saved me from my sins, but He came into me. And He gave quality to my life. He delivered me and He gave me an abundant life. And He loves me. And He has helped me. And I'm telling you, it takes that it, it toxic, toxic, complaining negativity out of my life. I hate it when I'm like that. Now look in your Bible. This is a great verse. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. This is the love of God. This is God's love. Not your love for God. It's God's love for you. And the word keep there means to protect. It's not just a, a dry obedience, but it's a willingness to keep His commandments. Well, how do you have this willingness? And here it is. His commandments are not grievous. They're not a grief to you. The word grievous means heavy. and It has the idea of, of a burden to carry. I'm not grieved about it. I have to do this. Oh, man. I forgot what night. I have to do this. But the reason I don't have the grief is because of the love of God. Because of the love of God. You ever read Psalm 119? 172 verses, the longest chapter in the Bible. It's all about the Word of God. Almost every verse in that chapter talks about the Bible. And it talks about the the writer's love of the Bible. That's one of the benefits. It just shows you, it speaks to you about how he loved the Bible. Words like, I seek thy commandments. I delight myself in thy commandments. I love thy commandments. Thy words are sweet to my taste. It, It talks about his willingness to obey the word of God. Now listen carefully. God is not seeking your habit to read the Bible. He's seeking your heart. When God has your heart, you'll love God when you see that God loves you. And when He has your heart, you'll read your Bible. Oh, I have to have devotions. Man, I got to do that. I got to check that off my list. I have to, this is my have to list. I'm a good Christian. I got a have to list. No, no, I get to. Sometimes God will bust in on that list. And you'll have a flat tire or something. And, and the man that's coming to help you. This has happened so many times in my life. It's a providential act of God. I would say every time. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, look at this. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You'll notice I misquoted it. For God is not unrighteous, he will reward you. He is not unrighteous to forget your work. Now look at it. Doesn't say in labor, it says in your labor of love. In your labor of love. God's not seeking your service, he's seeking your heart. You think you're going to get a reward in heaven because you were a Scrooge for serving God? God God will not forget your labors of love. And you listen, you can't you can't write that on a list. Are you with me? You can't say love the church service today. It doesn't work that way. Love my Bible reading this morning. Love the man that hates me. It doesn't work that way. The Christian life is not oriented that way. It doesn't work outside in. It works inside out. God wants your heart. And He wants your heart to love Him. But you cannot cultivate that until you see how much He loves you. So I was meditating on this uh, earlier this week. I had this thought that perhaps the reason we don't have the, the fire and the love for Jesus 
is because when we give the gospel is we haven't tasted the gospel ourselves. And we don't tell people about Jesus because we don't love Jesus. We're giving a speech. We're, we're, we're talking about something nebulous than, than the person that loves us more than anything. I mean, how would it be if I'm introducing my wife to somebody? Yeah, this, this is my wife. We, we've been married 41 years and, you know, all that goes with it. And Yeah, this, this, this is Paula. Well, this is Rick. Yeah, it's been a while. You know, we, we did have that, that honeymoon love thing. Yeah, that, that was there for a while. But, you know, we're, we're still together, though. We have to. We have to. So faithful. We're faithful. We're faithful. We're a model of a Christian marriage. Oh, really? There needs to be some delight. There needs to be some joy. There needs to be some fun, some laughter. But you can't just create that up. Somebody's got to start it. And when I think about how much she loves me, and hopefully when she thinks that I love her, how much I love her, then there's a response to that. The foundational motive of all Christian ministry, of all evangelism, is the love of God. Say, Brother Rick, I've been going to church here for a long time. You talk about this a lot. I know I do. Because it's in the Word of God. And because it's true. And because I know that it's true. In the Bible, God calls us ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents another country in an official capacity. And he's put on mission. And one of his missions is to speak for the higher authority. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God. Now watch this. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. You see that? Look at it. God has reconciled us to himself by Christ. Not by the church. Not by the baptistry. Not by good works. But by what Jesus did for us. Now look what he did. And God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. You see that? Here is our mission. Our mission is reconciling others to Christ. God, everybody is in the ministry. You're in the ministry. And this is your mission. To to help reconcile others to Jesus. And, And you know what? See it this way. Your task is just to help people bring them closer to God. Your goal is not to, quote, close the deal every time. There's a form of evangelism that said, well, if I don't get them saved in that moment, I fail. That that is so wrong. Did Jesus win everybody that he talked to? Absolutely not. The Lord Jesus himself, God in the flesh. Listen, (coughs) your objective is to, to bring them closer. Closer to God. And you may not be the one that's there when they finally when they finally trust Christ. But God knows every person that had a step, every prayer that was prayed, every sacrificial deed, every every extra tip that was given to that waitress when she knew you were a Christian. And she had a good opinion of Christians. Every every little thing counts, folks. Who hath reconciled unto himself by Jesus Christ has given to us a ministry of reconciliation. To wit, and as a result, that God was in Christ reconciling the world. Jesus died for everybody, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto, him, unto them. And, had, and here it is again, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, because you have to speak it. You have to live it, but you have to speak it. Now then, here it is. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. As God is pleading, the word beseech you. It's like God is speaking when you witness to somebody, when you tell them your story, when you tell them the story of grace. God is speaking to them through you. That's what he's saying. 
We pray you, we beg you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. Now move down to verse 14 in the chapter. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. And verses 18 to 20, you have your mission to have the word of reconciliation. Here you have your motivation. The love of Christ constraineth us. Now sometimes when we quote this verse, we, we get the wrong idea. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It's very plain. It doesn't say your love for Christ constrains us. The word constrain means to impel, to compel, to push, to drive. It means to motivate. You are not motivated by your love for Christ. That's a result of the love of Christ. The love of Christ constrains us. It's not your duty. We sang in the hymn a while ago in Rescue the Perishing. There's nothing wrong with the line. I agree with the line, but it won't sustain long-term motivation. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. It does. But you can't live on duty all the time. You, you have got to have motivation to fulfill your duty. Where does the motivation come from? Duty? How many times in the flesh do we fulfill our, especially our Christian duties? Many times we fail. You've got to have a higher motivation than just, this is on my list of oughts. It won't do it. You've got to have something higher. The love of Christ constrains us. The most important day in your life is when you learn that God loves you. Did you hear me? And you don't have to do anything to earn it or deserve it. Nothing. Nothing. God just loves you. There's great security in that. I'm insecure about some things. But one thing I'm not insecure about is the fact that God loves me. And those things I'm insecure about, the way I I get my bearings back is when I realize that my father, who I prayed to last night, our Father, which art in heaven, I want to pray through the Lord's Prayer as it's going to sleep. Each of those lines, not just by rote memory, but what they mean. I love this passage. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. There's an old gospel song. I haven't heard it in a long time, but I love the lines. And it's so simple, but so profound. When I am sad, God loves me. When I am bad, God loves me. And then the chorus just goes on. He loves me. He loves me. Jesus loves me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. First John chapter 4 and verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God, not, not God has love. He is love. That's who he is. That's his nature. He doesn't say, oh, I need some love today. I need to go find some love. That's who he is. That's his attribute. He speaks out of that's who he is. Psalm 86 and verse 15, But thou, O Lord, art a God full. I have that circled full. Full of compassion. And gracious, long-suffering, plenteous. Plenteous in mercy and truth. He doesn't compromise, but he's, he's merciful when we break, when we violate his truth. He's full of mercy, full of compassion. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. He is our gift that we should be called the sons of God. You will never cultivate a love for God until you realize that God loves you. May I address a situation that some of you especially struggle with this if if you grew up in a situation where you were rejected by parents or 
a spiritual authority or maybe you grew up in a home where you were felt that you had to earn favor for whatever reason. Listen, God loves you. God has expectations, but when you couldn't meet those expectations, he went to the cross and met them for you. Not just so you could go to heaven, but so he could change your heart so you could meet those expectations. And he could change you. He loves you. Listen to this. Legalism says God will love us if we change. But the gospel says God will change us because he loves us. Well, I'll love you if you do this. My kids get in trouble. Oh, before they get in trouble, I draw the line hard. Don't you do that. You better not do that. But if they get in trouble, what are you going to do? They need a picture of, of a heavenly father that in Luke chapter 15 that ran to meet his son. Evangelism is difficult because we focus on our obedience to motivate us. I have to do this. No, you don't have to because, and I don't mean this in an angry way, but some of you just don't do it anyway. And you just need to look, well, how come I don't? Why don't I? It's because your, your motivation is not there. The love of God, not your love for God. Because when you say God loves you, you'll begin to love Him. And that will be your sufficient motivation. You won't need a program. You won't need a high-powered church service. You won't need a, a big evangelism campaign. You'll just begin to tell your story. First John chapter 4 and verse 19. Look at this. This is it in, in, in summary. We love Him because... Why do I love Him? Because he first loved me. Because he first loved us. It's a huge verse. And, and next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get on the second part of that verse. And point out reasons why you ought to love him. To help you shape your motive. Well, you can't just say, well, the preacher preached on this morning. He preached on loving God, so I'm going to try to love God. No, no, no. That's not what I've said this morning. No. Let's see here. I need to love God this week. I see, write it every day, Monday. Today I will love God. No, no, no. As you read the Bibles, find out where God loves you. Find some songs about how God loves you. Meditate on how God loves you. And then your heart. We love him because he first loved us. When you were dead in sins and trespasses. When you used his name in vain. When you were a liar and a cheat, a deceiver. He loved you. First John 4.10 Hearing his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. Motivation is a response of our heart to grace. That's what motivation is. And we will never reinvigorate as a church, which is us individually. You can't do this corporately. You will never reinvigorate your heart to invest in people, to give them the gospel, to help them, even your children. I mean, I can't imagine not doing this with your kids. Your grandkids, you, you won't do this until the grace of God touches you. And I ask you this morning as we close, what is the condition of your heart before God? Are you busy? Is it cluttered? Just a lot of things. Are you burdened? Is it cool? Is it cold? Is there indifference there? He's a propitiation for your sins. He first loved you. Go there, look to to the cross. If you're not saved, go to the cross. He loves you. If you're saved, go to the cross. He loves you. And that's the motivation for all that we do.
want you to bow your heads with me this morning, if you would. While you sit there, would you just quietly tell the Lord, just, just talk to him. I'm, I'm going to be quiet. Just talk to the Lord, would you? Just talk to him. Thank him for who he is and what he's done. Would you do that?